and I, the first message that I preached was on crazy love. And Jesus said, you know, the world will know you're my disciples if what? You have love one for another. It was a crazy love. That was a draw that the early church had. Tonight, I want to talk about the early church again, and, and I want to just bring a message, uh, and, and I got this title from another preacher called Straight Talk. And I just want to give a little straight talk tonight about the early church. I uh, don't know how long we're going to be here this evening. I know this morning, you said, Preacher, you said you was going to preach a short message. Was I not through preaching before noon? Did I lie to you? That's short for me. I was through before noon. I can't tell you that I'll be that way tonight. I'm not for sure where, how far we're going to be. But I want you to turn the book of Acts. Specifically, uh, look at Acts chapter 6. If you want to just stay right there, we're actually going to use verse 7 as our springboard text for the message tonight or for the study tonight. Acts chapter 6. Everybody have it? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we study your word tonight, once again, I pray you speak to us. You make it clear. You call to my mind what I've studied. Give me strength of voice, clarity of mind. Uh, Father, I pray that we'll see that what caused the, the uh, explosion in the early church, that what brought about the disciples of the early church is still the same and will do the same today if we'll just apply it. Show us what your word says that we might apply it to our lives and apply it to our church and thereby be successful and make disciples. In Christ's name, amen. Some of y'all may remember a book from years ago, it was written years ago, entitled You Can't Go Home Again. Has anybody ever read that? Nobody? Who? God bless you, Francine. I got one person that's read that book. Well, there goes my illustrations that I was going to use. No. The book, You Can't Go Home Again. I remember years ago when I first saw that title, I thought, well, that's, that's not true because you, sure you can go back home again. But after I realized what the author was talking about, once you leave home, especially for a period of time, perhaps a long period of time, you really can't go home again because home changes while you're gone. Does that make sense to you? Change takes place. For instance, folks, uh, a couple years ago, I was in Oklahoma City. I went back by a house that I grew up in as a kid, the block where I grew up at. And, and uh, it was home, geographically speaking, but it wasn't home. I mean, things had changed a whole lot in, in the years that I've been gone. Uh, the landmarks were gone. Houses that I used to remember my friends lived in, they were changed. Uh, a few of the houses were gone at that time. Uh, the church where we used to play football in the church field behind the Methodist church, it was gone. A lot of things had changed over the years. And folks, again, even though it was the same on the map, it wasn't the same to me. Now, somebody said this. They said the only permanent thing in life is change. Do you believe that? I do. I, I believe it's true. I think time does change everything, folks. So, saying that, if we were to go back, say, a little over 2,000 years to the early church, it would amaze you how much church has changed. Now, I want to, folks, I want you to understand what I mean by the word church because some people associate the word church with religion. That's why more and more people today, they'll tell you, well, I'm spiritual, 
But I don't have any use for organized religion. What they mean is church. I don't have any use for church. Other people, the word church, they associate it with a specific denomination. Like Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, uh, Nazarene, Presbyterian, whatever it may be. And then there are people who associate the word church with a location. They think about a church building, what traditionally, you know, we call sanctuary. The amazing thing is that even though the word church occurs uh, around 100, maybe a little more than 100 times in the New Testament, it's never used in any one of those three ways. Now let me explain to you. The word church, literally, <coughs> it means gathering. And specifically, it speaks of a gathering of people. Now let's be honest, folks. You don't need religious bureaucracy. Really, you don't need the denominational uh, branding. Uh, you don't need a specific building or location to have a church. To have church, all you need is people, right? I mean, that's, that's what the church exists for, folks. It's the purpose, exists for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel and drawing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the church is a gathering, a group of people. Now, 2,000 years ago, the early church, they had a, a draw that was magnetic, and it was a draw that was unparalleled to this day. The uh, growth of the early church, it was so expansive, it was so uh, explosive, that the entire book of the Bible is written about it, and it's the book called the book of Acts that we're looking at tonight. If you ever want to understand more about the early church, then I suggest that you do a pretty good study on the book of Acts. The church was formed right after the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it started out with 120 people. And then one of the original 12 disciples, a guy by the name of Peter, remember he got up and preached the first Christian message at a festival, at a feast called uh, Pentecost, and right in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. He preaches that first message, that first sermon, and as a result, the Scripture tells us in Acts 2.41, those who gladly received or accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So in one brief sermon, the church grows from 120 people to around 3,000 people, or over 3,000 people. From that moment on, as you begin to study in the book of Acts, the church snowballs. And it begins to grow and get bigger and bigger. And we keep reading time after time after time that the growth of the church wouldn't stop. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Uh, Acts 4.4, 4, But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. Go ahead and look at that. We're going to look at it several times. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. That word increase means it spread out. It grew. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. That means rapidly in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The Bible says in Acts 28, 28, Paul says, Be it known therefore unto you that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. In Acts 28, 31, Paul, speaking boldly in the name of Christ, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Dr. Luke tells us here in the book of Acts uh, ten different times, folks, how the early church was growing and thousands were being added and how people were coming to the Lord daily. Now, the lack, for lack of a better word, let me say it again, the church was magnetic. Now, what was one of the big magnets 
that drew people to the early church. Well, let me give you a clue, folks. Time and time again, we hear things like this. Acts 2. Those who accepted this message were baptized. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Acts 4.4. Many who heard the message believed. Acts 6.7 again. And the word of God increased. Now, do you catch where I'm going with this? The secret to the explosive growth of the early church was this. People were drawn by the Spirit of God to the Word of God. Now think about it. The only thing the early church really had to attract, to draw people, was their witness to Christ and their sharing and proclaiming the Word of God. I mean, that's all that they had. They didn't have all the accoutrements of worship that we think we have to have today. You know, in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, and if, you're not, if you haven't turned there and found it, let's go ahead and do that because we're fixing to get started. There was an event that took place. Folks, if it had not been handled correctly, I want to tell you Christianity would have stopped dead in its tracks. The church would have crashed and burned before it ever got started. Now here's what happened. Uh, the church, folks, it was made up of thousands of believers now. And with these believers, there was really not uh, any uniformity. They were multicultural. They were multi-ethnic. Uh, they come from different backgrounds, folks. They, they uh, come from different places. There were people from all over Jerusalem. There were people from outside of Jerusalem. Many people had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And while there, they had given their life to Christ. And so because they had done that, they didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay and learn all they could about their new faith. Now, there were a number of widows in the church. Some of the widows, they were Jewish converts, Jewish background. Others were Greek converts. They had Greek backgrounds. They were uh, from different backgrounds. They had different languages. They were very different. The only thing that all these widows had in common was the Bible says they were hungry. Now, folks, the church had undertaken the responsibility of feeding these widows and the Greek widows. They felt like that they were not getting their fair share. So the early church has a problem. It's got a bunch of angry, hungry women. That's a lethal combination. So what happened? Well, automatically, folks, by default, everybody turns to these original 11 disciples to solve that problem. They made a decision that, uh, and, and I, I think it's backed by Scripture. You can study it by Scripture in the history of the church. The decision these guys made, and I believe, of course, they were led by God to make this decision, the decision they made in Acts 6, it saved the growth of the church and the progress of the Christian faith. Look at verse 2. Chapter 6, this is what they did. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it's not reason or it's not proper, it's not fitting, it's not right that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now why were they so adamant that they would not give up, folks, uh, preaching the Word of God? Why do you think that was? Because I believe they understood, they knew if they quit preaching God's Word, the church would quit growing. And if the church quit growing, Christianity would end. So what they do, they take a select group of men who we now know as deacons, and they, they take these deacons and set them aside to take over this ministry of the church so they could continue to focus on teaching and preaching. Now, I know many of you have heard this preached on, and many times it's preached on by preachers who don't want to do anything except just show up on Sunday, and they don't even show up on Wednesday anymore or Sunday night. 
but show up on Sunday morning and preach. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm wanting you to see is the priority and the place of God's Word in the church. So they set these men aside to take care of this ministry so they could continue to study and teach and preach. And the most amazing thing happened with this crucial decision. Look at verse 7 one more time. After they took care of this and made this decision and set these men known as deacons aside to oversee this ministry, and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know what? You would expect uh, verse 7 perhaps to say something like, and the widows were fed and everybody lived happily ever after. Folks, that's not what it says. Now the widows were fed and I'm sure that mamas were happy and, and people were a lot happier. But the most important thing that happened is the word of God spread. The number of disciples increased quickly, rapidly, and a large number of Jewish priests became Christians. Folks, that's amazing. That's amazing. All because these guys said we will not forfeit, set aside. We will not bring the preaching of God's word and lay it aside and elevate something above that. It all happened again because of the spread of God's word. Now all this that I've told you up to this point, it's all a backdrop. Because what I want to do now is share with you three very brief truths that every church, every Christian ought to remember because it gives the church uh, corporate and the individual believer a, a magnetism, folks that will draw people to Christ. Now listen, let me make this clear. A magnetic church is just a church made up of magnetic people. All right? Because that's what a church is now, remember? It's a group of people. What the early church did is what we need to do. And the first thing they did, folks, that we need to do, we should emphasize the priority of God's Word in our lives and in the church corporate. Verse 7 again, it says, And the Word of God increased. That word uh, increased, or if you have a, a, one of the other English translations, it may say spread. That's an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word oxano, and it literally means to grow or to expand. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that the Word of God, uh, that it grew bigger, but it simply means the Word of God, it got broader in its scope. It spread out. There was more and more preaching of the Word of God. And with more and more preaching of God's Word, there was more penetrating of the Word of God into the hearts and lives of unbelievers. Now, folks, it wasn't that God's Word, again, got bigger, but the Word of God, it, it became freed to increase, to expand, uh, again, to broaden the scope, to get into the hearts and minds of more people. And listen to me. Because the apostles had been freed to preach God's Word, more people now had the opportunity to hear God's Word and more lives had the opportunity to be changed by God's Word. Remember, those apostles had been tempted. They'd even been requested to put the Word of God aside, to quit preaching God's Word and get involved in feeding the widows, waiting on tables, and I'm sure doing a myriad of other things that were all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those ministries, they were all good things, but they were not the best thing. They were not the most important thing. Luke gives us a clue uh, as to why this would have been an unmitigated disaster for the church and for the unbelieving world. Look at verse 2 again. He quotes the apostles as saying, It's not reason that we should leave the Word of God. In other words, the apostles, they said, uh, It's not right 
to neglect the ministry of the Word of God. That would be a grave mistake is what they're saying. Then in verse 7, he reports what happened because, again, they did not forsake the ministry of the Word. Numbers of disciples multiplied greatly, and a large number of priests became Christians. Now the point, folks, is the Word of God, it kept spreading, and the church kept growing, and that magnet of the Word of God kept drawing people. Because the apostles didn't make the strategic mistake of prioritizing anything else above the preaching of God's Word. Now let me just, let me just make this observation. And I think you'll agree with me. The greatest threat to the church and to Christianity, folks, it will always be anything that threatens the authority and the priority of preaching God's Word. One of the things that drew people to the early church was its worship. Do you realize that? You said, wait a minute, preacher. You said really all they had was the testimony of Christ and God, God's words all they had. That's exactly what I said. Now, follow me on this. Today, too many people make a mistake of thinking worship is only about music or singing or this or that. I want you to understand there is, an, and you heard me say this before and I've preached on it before. There is an inseparable link between the worship of God and the Word of God. They go together, folks. They, they, they can't be separated. One of my favorite, uh, favorite preacher teachers uh, yesteryear was a guy by the name of Dr. John Stott. Now, I want you to listen to what Dr. Stott said. He said, Word and worship belong indissolubly to each other. All worship is an intelligent and loving response to the revelation of God. Therefore, acceptable worship is impossible without preaching God's Word. For preaching is making known the name of the Lord, and worship is praising the name of the Lord made known. Did you catch that? He said the two cannot be divorced. The Word of God is fundamental to the worship of God. And to that I agree. I say amen. Folks, there are all kinds, and listen to me, there are all kinds of ways you can draw a crowd, all kinds of ways that you can build up numbers in the church. There's nothing wrong with being creative, using technology, or, or being attractive in your ministry. Don't get the idea that I'm implying that, uh, you know, any of those things are wrong. I'm not saying that. I am saying this, however. One thing the church cannot do without is the Word of God. We cannot do without that, folks. We must always emphasize the priority of God's Word. But number two, secondly, we should also emphasize the preaching of God's Word. When the Word of God is prioritized, I'm going to tell you something. Things happen. This is what happened in the early church. Verse 7 again says, The number of disciples it multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Look at that phrase, multiplied, and then greatly. It actually goes together. So you could take out Jerusalem. Disciples multiplied greatly. In the original text is how it reads. Or if you have a, maybe in the NIV and maybe ESV, it may say increased rapidly. Either way, it's the same word in the Greek. And the word actually means to multiply quickly or at a rapid pace. So here's what I want you to get. The growth of the early church was so explosive People were not just being added to the church. They were being multiplied to the church. Now, it's been a while since I've been to school. I never was very good at math, but you get somewhere quicker with multiplication than you can with addition. And the Bible makes it clear they were being multiplied to the church. Notice, it, notice who was being multiplied, all right? It was not the number of decisions that were being multiplied. It was not the number of those who attended services that were being multiplied. It was the number of disciples that were increasing. 
and being multiplied. You say, why are you making such a point about that, preacher? Well, you need to understand in first century Palestine, the word disciple, it didn't mean what we think it means today. Back then, a disciple, folks, it didn't refer to a pupil in school or somebody who would learn from a, a well-known professor or from a textbook. The word disciple back in this time, it meant an apprentice. It meant somebody who, who uh, didn't just learn information from a professor. They actually became a follower of that teacher and they adopted that teacher's way of life. So these people becoming disciples, they were hearing the preaching of the Word of God, and the Word of God not only got into the ears, but into their head and down into their hearts. They not only decided to become followers of Christ, but they said, we're not only going to follow, we're going to live out the life of Christ in our daily walk, in our own lives. This is what we learn here, folks. And here's the simple fact. The more people share the Word of God, the more pastors and preachers preach the Word of God, the more we teach the Word of God, the more disciples will be made. Not decisions, not church attenders, disciples. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but the marching orders Jesus gave to the church is to make what? Disciples. Enough said. Now let me go on with this. Understand, folks, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be some seminary trained professional or, or some theologian to share the Word of God with your family, with your friends, with neighbors, with people that God brings across the path of your life on a daily basis. I want, it's what I want you to grasp, Christian. Listen to me. You are the magnet that God can use to draw others to Him. Each and every one of us. You say, well, I don't know a whole lot about God's Word. I heard a story about a guy years and years and years ago who went down far south Mexico. He knew one verse, John 3, 16. He knew one verse of a song, the first verse of Amazing Grace. And he held crusades all over the southern part of Mexico and led thousands and thousands to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't tell me, well, I can't do that. But let me just, I'm just curious. How many here would say, well, I, I know John 3, 16? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to rest my case on that point then as well. I believe that's probably the first verse we learn in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. And you realize it's one of the most powerful, in my opinion, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. We should emphasize the priority of God's Word. Folks, we should emphasize the preaching of God's Word. But, but the last thing I want you to see is we should emphasize the practice of God's Word. Look again at verse 7 with me. The last part of verse 7. I'm telling you, it's absolutely amazing to me. It says, And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Do you know why that's so amazing? Well, I want you to think about this. No one was more against Christianity no one despised the name of Jesus more. Nobody hated the church more. Nobody wanted to see Christianity stop more in its tracks than the Jewish priests did. Are you following me? They said it was a disease. It's a cult. It's a sect. It needs to be stopped. And you know what? Among these priests that were saved, there's no doubt in my mind there were some of them there that had to be part of the number that helped with the crucifixion of Christ. And these guys, yet they hear the preaching of God's word, and they're irresistibly drawn 
to the God of the Word. And they give up their Jewish religion for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me? I will never forget somebody, a wise man, told me this one time. I think I shared it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, that tells me that just because somebody's religious don't mean they don't need God's Word. They don't need the Gospel. I will never forget, I was having to preach uh, in, in front of a, a board, a panel of professors and preachers and teachers from OBU years ago. I was nervous. I was nervous because, I mean, these guys, they were highly educated. I mean, they were big wheels. They were, they were big deals. Dr. Ben Mosley, I, I don't know who all was there. I can't remember. I remember him because he's one of my, my teachers that I had. And I was like, what am, am I going to preach to those guys to make an impression on them? And I'll never forget. It, actually, it was my dad that said this. My dad, who had no formal education, uh, my dad, who uh, was not a preacher, but he was a Christian man and a deacon for years and years. He said, son, just because they got a doctorate, that don't mean they saved and they know Jesus. Why don't you preach Jesus to them? That's what I did. I put it into practice, emphasized the practice of God's word. These priests... Folks, when I think about it, it amazes me that they come to Christ. It reminds me, just because somebody appears to be religion, religious, that don't mean they're saved. They need the gospel. They need God's word just like anybody else does. Now, I gave this message, you remember, I told you straight talk because understand what it meant to share the message of God's word. Let me explain to you back then what they were sharing. Now, of course, folks, the message centered primarily around Jesus, around his death, burial, and his resurrection. They obviously preached, and I'm sure from the very beginning, and you can read it in God's word, the need of re repentance and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. But there was far more to the teaching of the word of God than that, than the simple gospel. Say, so what do you mean? Let me explain it to you this way. If you have ever studied ancient history, you'll remember the ancient Roman world, it was not kind to women. It was not kind to children. I mean, in the, Roman, in the ancient Roman world, married men, they could, they could run around, they could sleep with other women, especially slaves and prostitutes. And if that relationship left an unwanted child, that child would either be aborted or it would be cast out, thrown out into the street or out in the wilderness to die from exposure. It was a cruel world. Well, these early disciples, folks, they preached God's word and especially the words of Jesus. And the world began to hear things they had never heard before. The world began to hear how husbands should be faithful to their wives and love their wives. They began to hear how the most vulnerable in society, little babies, should be taken care of, should be loved. They began to hear how women should not be treated like property, but they should be treated with dignity. Now, people were drawn to this teaching like iron is drawn to magnets. And these unbelievable truths, they were not just true, folks. But back then, they were... They were Things that made you think way outside of your normal range. Outside the box, they were, were intellectually stimulating truths. But they were also life-changing truths. They had never heard anything like this. And I want you to listen to me. The reason I make a point of that, it's not just preaching that changes lives. It's the preaching of God's Word that changes lives. It, it's, it's not just truth that transforms people's lives. 
Folks, it's the truth of God's Word that transforms people. Now, let me say this. Whatever draw a church wants to use to draw people, whatever magnet they want to use uh, to draw people, folks, if they want to draw people to the right thing, the right way and for the right reason, the magnet and the draw that should be out front of every, everything else should be the draw of God's Word. That should be first. You say, why would you say that, preacher? Because whatever you bring them in with, that's what you're going to have to keep them with. And let me say this to you, friend. If you're going to be successful and be what Jesus called you to be and do what he called the church to do, and that is make disciples, then you better bring them in with God's word because you can't make disciples without it. That's why, folks, the number one value that I've adopted in, in, in any church and that we've adopted in this church. Any church that I pastor will be this way. The number one value is the value of biblical authority. I know people say, well, you know, Brother Jim, he harps on that so much. Yes, I do, because if there's any value that has been discarded and cast aside in churches today, it's the importance of the authority and the priority and the preaching of God's Word. Folks, I want to share something with you in closing, and, and, and true story. And I shared it, uh, a similar incident. I don't know if I shared this one or not. The incident with those uh, Wednesday night in our Bible study several months ago. But this took place right here in this church. And it forever pierced my heart and solidified in my heart that our church will always, always be known as a church that prioritizes the Word of God, that preaches the Word of God, and that practices the Word of God. I've had this incident take place in two churches that I've pastored. It happened on a uh, Sunday, after a Sunday morning service. I think it was probably about a year ago. The folks that I'm talking about, you may be here tonight, and you may not. I'll just leave it at that. There's a couple that came up to me after a Sunday morning service, and I began talking to them, and, and the husband spoke to me, and he said, you know what, uh, uh, he called me Brother Jim. He's been polite and still called me preacher like most people do. He said, uh, no, he called me Pastor Jim. I'm sorry, that's, I remember that now, Pastor Jim. At least he didn't call me Reverend, Todd. Uh, he said, Pastor Jim, he said, I, I want you to know we've been, uh, we've been coming here, visiting here for a few weeks now. I said, well, I've seen you a few times. I've shaken hands with him before. And then he said something that shocked me, folks that rocked me to the core. He said, I want you to know something. He said, Pastor, we have learned more, we have grown more in the past several weeks here coming to this church than we have in quite a few years at the last church that we attended and were members of. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that kind of shook me a little bit. Then he continued to talk to me. He said, uh, we heard that your church... Uh, we heard about your church. We heard your church had a strong emphasis on God's Word. We heard that, that you were a preacher that, that stood strong, uh, hard on God's Word. And he said, you know, my wife and I were sitting in the, the middle of the church, and, and, uh, and I didn't remember. He said, and, and you know, uh, visiting the service for the first time uh, several weeks ago, he said, really, it was kind of similar to other churches we've been in and to our home church. He said, until you got up to speak. He said, then you did something that we have witnessed very few times in years and years. 
He said, you actually said, take your Bibles, turn to, and I don't remember the passage, turn to this passage. He said, then you began to preach verse by verse and expound on God's Word. He said, about halfway through your sermon, I looked over at my wife and she was smiling. She leaned over and said, honey, this is what's been missing. He said, I asked her, what, what do you mean what's been missing? She said, well, you know, there are a lot of things that we love about our church that we've been at for more than 12 years. There are a lot of things that uh, we enjoy. Then he said, but his wife said, honey, this is what's been missing. We've been starving to death in our church. She said, now we're getting fed the word of God. This is what we needed all along. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't tell you that story to exalt myself. Now, this has happened twice in churches I've pastored. I didn't tell you that story to exalt myself in any way, far from it. You know, there are people that say, well, Jim's a good preacher. He's a good preacher. And I know what they mean, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. In all reality, I'm not a good preacher. I am not a great orator by any stretch of the imagination. I butcher the English language. I've told you before, I don't speak English, I speak redneck. You've got to listen to me pretty close at times. But I'll say this. I, I don't consider myself a good or a great preacher, but I do consider myself a biblical preacher. And I'll tell you this, and you, some of you folks have heard me say this. What I do behind the pulpit, any preacher called by God can do if he just would. Just expound on God's word. I've told you, God doesn't say, I'll bless your words about my word. He said, I'll bless my word. So I didn't tell you that story to exalt myself, and I want you to understand this. I didn't tell you that story to criticize another church. I'll never tell anybody the name of that other church. The folks I'm talking about, of course, they know what the name is. But I can tell you this. When I was talking to those folks, I remember thinking, Lord, thank you that I am not the pastor of that church. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been accused of a lot of things over the years in ministry. You know, and, uh, I've been accused of everything from being unloving, uncaring, unkind, uh, to being too forceful, too authoritative. Uh, I've been accused of a lot of things. Now, some of them have been true. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of them have been false. Those of you that know me know better than that. But I'm going to tell you one thing I've never been accused of and one thing I never do want to be accused of, and that is I don't want to be accused of failing to feed God's people God's Word. Folks, I want you to listen and I'll wrap it up here. Understand, the preaching of God's word not only attracts people, it also repels people. All right? It not only draws people to God, it'll drive people away from God who won't accept the truth. This is what I do know. I do know this. And God's word and history proves this to be true. When the word of God is increased, is spread, is sent abroad, People of all walks of life will become disciples. They'll become followers of Jesus Christ when God's word is shared and spread and increased. I do know that for a fact. Now I'm going to ask you one question before we close. What place does God's word have in your life? 
Is it a guide that you loosely follow? Or is it the absolute authority in your life? Brandon, if you profess to be a Christian and follow Jesus Christ, it better be the second one. If not, then you're headed for trouble. You're headed for problems like you cannot imagine. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have problems when you live according to God's word. You will have. But here's the thing about it. You'll have the power, the direction, the grace of God's word to see you through whatever problem you have if you'll apply it to your life. It's time for Christians to quit living. For people who profess to be Christians, it's time for them to quit living what they believe is right and start living what God's Word says is right. Would you bow your heads, please?